InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. If you haven't heard about the choking game, you're not alone. It's a deadly pastime involving kids and adolescents. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talks with a medical expert in an interview that every parent and grandparent needs to hear. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Accidental suicide. That sounds like an oxymoron, but it is in the news more and more in many communities around the country, and it involves young people in many cases. We're joined by Dr. Thomas Andrew. He is a pediatrician and the chief medical examiner in the state of New Hampshire to talk about something called the choking game. Dr. Andrew, welcome to InfoTrack. Thanks for having me. Tell us, what is this choking game? There are other names for it, I guess, but explain just exactly what it is. Yeah, actually, there are a whole lot of names for it, but by whatever name it goes, basically, it involves the application of pressure to a child's neck and increasing pressure to the point of lightheadedness or wooziness and then release of that pressure and then sort of a rush of blood up into the head. So you have two different sensations going. You've got the lightheadedness and the wooziness induced by the pressure, and then you get the rush of the blood sort of slamming back up into the brain, sort of a two-fold sensation that's sought by players of this. Truth be known, though, asphyxial games of this nature have really been around for generations. Do you believe there is an increasing trend of this, or is it just getting more media attention? What's happening? Well, I think it's probably a combination of both. The increasing trend, the difference between these games and the games of old is the use of ligatures, things like dog leashes, bungee cords, and things of that nature, and playing the game alone. This, I think, is a relatively new wrinkle which has led to fatal results in some cases. And because of that, it has achieved more media attention and you know, part of that, I would agree, is sort of a vicious cycle. Let's talk about the dangers of this for just a moment. Yeah. Whether it's in a group or alone, there certainly are some extraordinarily dangerous things that can happen. No question about it. And it could be anything from minor injuries. For example, I, I'm aware of a situation wherein a group of Pop Warner football players, now you're talking about kids that range from, what, 9 to 12, were playing this game in a basement, and one of the boys actually did pass out and he fell and struck his head against the coffee table, the edge of a coffee table. Now, you know, fortunately for him, all he ended up with was a few stitches. But there was a case in British Columbia wherein there were actually four fatalities, four deaths of kids that were playing this game in the school restroom using these continuous loop towels that you dry your hands with. Now, after this episode, those continuous loop towel dispensers were removed from the schools. The age group that I'm seeing that's involved in this kind of behavior is as young as nine. And they tend to be from about nine to no older than 14, 15 at the oldest. So it's a younger group of kids. And if they are already addressing drugs, alcohol, and tobacco with that age group, quite frankly, this belongs in that sort of category of high-risk behaviors. And if the experts out there feel like, you know, six is the time to at least introduce the dangers of the game, well, you know, more power to them. We're talking with Dr. Thomas Andrew. He is a pediatrician and the chief medical examiner of the state of New Hampshire, and we're discussing something called the choking game. Dr. Andrew, a lot of kids view this as some sort of safe alternative to abusing illegal drugs, don't they? Oh, you bet. And as a matter of fact, what we have found is there are two 
sort of subsets of kids who play this, and by far the larger group are action-oriented, athletically inclined kids who, under the usual circumstances, would tend to shun alcohol and tobacco. To that group, alcohol and tobacco is for losers. But being youth, being children, and wanting to seek those sorts of kind of alternative experiences, they get deceived into feeling like, well, gee, this doesn't involve drugs or alcohol, and it must be perfectly safe, and obviously nothing's farther from the truth. What role does the Internet play in fostering this sort of activity and passing information around? Well, quite frankly, I think you know the answer to that is speculative, but I suspect that the role is quite high. I mean, it used to be that word of mouth was the way to get other kids to play this game prior to the Internet. But now you're just a click or two away if you're a savvy kid from any number of sites that sort of extol the virtues of this weird feeling that you get from playing this game. Now, there are also out there websites that are condemning the game and preaching about its dangers, but your guess is probably the same as mine as to which sites the kids are more gravitated to. This whole topic seems to not really be on the national radar to the extent that you might think it is, because it's difficult to get a handle on the total numbers of deaths, right? Oh, sure it is. And I think the 800-pound gorilla in the room is youth suicide. Traditionally, year after year, Suicidal violence is among the top two or three ways in which kids die. And it's far too easy to go to the scene of a hanging that looks and smells and, you know, for all the intents and purposes, seems like a straightforward suicide, and to call it a suicide. There are no differences in the way the death scene looks, and there are no differences in the physical findings at the autopsy table in a hanging that was accidental versus a hanging that was an intentional suicide. The answer to those questions comes in a thorough investigation, and the right investigative questions need to be answered. Unfortunately, a lot of medical examiner and coroner's offices that are strapped for time and personnel may not have the time to get the proper questions asked. What advice would you have for parents and maybe uh, school administrators and so forth on how they address this topic? Well, as far as school administrators go, they cannot delude themselves into thinking that the game is not in their school. It is. The kids know about it. It's the parents who don't. And they, as well as the parents, as I alluded to earlier, need to treat this kind of behavior the same way they treat other high-risk behaviors in youth. Now, the way to get at this, obviously, is not a preaching head kid. That never works. What I have found to be helpful is letting the child educate me in sort of broaching that subject. Gee, you know, I I heard about this game. What can you tell me about this game? And that may open the door for a conversation for you to have with that child. And just, you know, play the goofy, don't know anything sort of adult. Gee, that sounds kind of odd. I mean, couldn't you get hurt doing that? Or isn't that kind of dangerous? And, And just open the dialogue with the child without preaching at them. Are there any warning signs that parents should watch for? Well, there might be some physical signs on the child if you suspect that this might be something that's going on. Anytime you apply pressure to the neck, you inhibit blood flow, and that might leave behind some telltale marks on the face, like tiny little pinpoint hemorrhages or blood spots around the eyelids and sometimes even on the lining of the eyes. If the child is wearing high-neck collars, turtlenecks, even when that's sort of environmentally inappropriate, if you will, they may be covering up marks that are left behind, although the savvy players are using soft ligatures that don't leave much in the way of marks. 
complaints of frequent or recurrent headache that are new warrant at least some inquiry on the parent's part. And if you have access to the kid's computer, it never hurts to do a query of the history of the sites that they've been to recently. Some very wise advice from Dr. Thomas Andrew. He is a pediatrician and the chief medical examiner for the state of New Hampshire. Dr. Andrew, thank you for joining us on InfoTrack. Glad we could help. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, the gripping story of a criminal who hit rock bottom and bounced back. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this.